Hello, Internet, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. I am your host, Chase Wallisonar, and I am very excited to talk about some games that my lovely co-host and I have never talked about before on the show. That's kind of this show's whole thing. We talk about games that we've been playing that we haven't talked about before. And of course, when I say we, I am referring to the great Walter C.A.D.'s Fedchuck. Walter, how you doing, man? The, the great Walter Ciades Fedcheck. My God, that is that is an impressive intro. I am doing uh, I am doing quite well. It has been uh, it has been kind of a, a a great start to 2023. I have uh, I have received a promotion at work. Uh, my partner has gotten into the first um, grad school that she has applied to. She has a couple more that she's waiting to hear back from. Um, but yeah, it it's been. She also had COVID, so it's been kind of a little bit of a wild beginning to 2023. Uh, but I would okay. say things are genuinely looking up, except my wallet, uh, because I bought like 10 games <laughs> over the course of the holidays in the uh, in the winter sales for both the Epic Game Store and Steam. Um, so we, we might have some games uh, that I got to catch up on from last year, including the one that I'm talking about today. Uh, but Chase, how is the beginning of your 2023 been? Well, first of all, uh, congrats on all those positive things that you mentioned uh, and uh, swift recovery uh, to your girlfriend and the whole COVID stuff. Uh, not fun. Turns out, uh, be careful, y'all. Uh, that's still around, despite what uh, people in positions of power might tell you. Um, I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. Uh, I have uh, I got the chance over the Christmas break, as I mentioned, I think on the last episode, to, to get some family time. Uh, since I've been back, I got a new board game, uh, Ashes Reborn, uh, which is made by Plaid Hat Games. It's the same company that made Summoner Wars, which is my favorite game of all time as far as board games go. Uh, so I'm very excited to finally get a chance to to play it, which I think I'm going to do sometime this weekend. Um, and I am desperately trying to hold on to my holiday funds and not buy a Steam Gear because I don't need it. I don't need a Steam Gear. And I know this because I've spent money trying to get games on my Switch that I already owned on my PC because I just wanted it on a console on my screen. So I don't need another console to play the games that I already repurchased on a screen. But it sure looks cool, right? Like, it sure looks like it would be fun uh, to have all those games at my disposal. And I, I would have a lot of games that I, I don't want to play on my PC because that's where I do all my work stuff that I could then get into and actually feel like it would be worth it for me to delve into Steam sales of my own. So that internal struggle, I'm sure, will be raging throughout 2023 until I eventually just cave uh, and go get it because uh, I am weak and Steam has so many games that I haven't played. But you know what, Walter? This is not... A Steam Gear podcast. Uh, this is not a uh, celebrate uh, some personal wins podcast, though I would think that would be a fun podcast that we could potentially pick up at a future time. This is a gaming podcast. And as you said, uh, it seems like you've been catching up on some games from last year. So, Walter, what have you been playing? 
Well, so so I, I have started with one game from last year. Uh, we we will go, uh, you know, across the, the realm of games here. I don't know how many I will play uh, necessarily for the podcast because some of them are a bit longer uh, and I might want to play in the background uh, and it might be a while till I get to them. Uh, but for this week, I played Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Uh, action role-playing first-person shooter video game from Gearbox Software that is a spin-off in the Borderlands series. Uh, I did play Borderlands 3 when I came out. I would like to say that it was the last game that I ever pre-ordered. Um, and by pre-ordered, <laughs> I literally bought it the day before it came out so I could preload it. So I could, because I think I had a long weekend or something when it came out and I wanted to like come home from work and hop right into playing it. And the thing that drew me into this game was I actually enjoyed Borderlands 3 than I think most people did. Uh, one, because other than maybe like a couple of hours trying out Borderlands 1, um, I'd never played a Borderlands game. I've never played Tales from the Borderlands. Like any experience that I have with that series has sort of been the outside looking in. And it was one of those series I just like never touched. And then I played Borderlands 3 and they were like, I liked the beginning of the game. I really didn't like the villains, but I liked kind of the play pattern. And then eventually it like kind of wore on me at one point and the loop kind of broke and I was just rushing to get to the ending. I want to say the last like three hours or so of that game was just me pushing to try and finish the game. So when Tiny uh, Tina's Wonderlands came out last year and the premise of it is that Tiny Tina is, is a uh, bunker master as they so to speak is speak, but it's basically they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, but they can't use the actual, you know, copyright for it. I was like, hey, this sounds kind of interesting. I like the idea of the different classes. I like kind of the magical elements. Like, ooh, I kind of wonder what this sort of game would look like. Uh, and then at the end of the day, when I opened it up, I won't say I was disappointed because I wasn't disappointed to discover that it was actually just a first person shooter and the way they get around will wire their guns in a like medieval high fantasy kind of setting is like, I don't know, there's fucking guns. Like there's just <laughs> fucking guns in it. Who fucking cares? There's guns. And like, do they try to play off it a little bit? Are there a couple assault rifles that look like crossbows? Absolutely. Like, they look like cool, you know, cy cyberpunk-y, like, crossbows. Like, I'll totally give it to them. And I was a little worried that maybe that would take my immersion out of it. But here's the thing. When you add guns to high fantasy, and there's robots, and, like, you just kind of have those Borderlands elements to it already, it actually makes for a pretty interesting setting, and you don't get distracted from the fact that there's guns in your high fantasy. You just go... Well, fuck it. Like, what was I going to do? Use a sword? This is Borderlands. That would be boring. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that swords would be boring, because one of the things that I, I heard about this game, besides the, the Bunkers and Badasses theme, which uh, was built from the Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep DLC uh, from Borderlands 2, which, in my opinion, was the best part of Borderlands 2, um, is that this is the first game in which you can actually wield melee weapons like they give you a whole slot in order to encourage that kind of fighting um alongside with some spells and things that you can uh equip so i i guess my my first question here is how does the game from a gameplay perspective manage to weave those rpg elements that are clearly being added by the fantasy theme and the setting 
with the kind of looter shooter that Borderlands fans would be accustomed to. See, I thought you were about to ask me how did it incorporate melee, and I was gonna, my response was going to be, Chase, they gave you one item slot for melee and four item slots for guns. How do you think they incorporate, you know, incorporated <laughs> it? Uh, literally, melee was, it's just, I played with a controller, press down on the right thumbstick to, to melee. And, like, here's the thing. They gave, you know, looter shooters, they have, you know, abilities and, item, and you know, uh, modifiers and everything added onto the guns, so, like, the melee weapons still have all these things. The the armor still has all these things. All of these variety of things have all of these modifiers that are added onto it that eventually once you beat the game, you open up a, a workbench essentially that you can re-roll the modifiers on your weapons. Um, but really to me, the big thing to, that actually really makes it high fantasy outside of the setting is that they got rid of thrown weapons like grenades and they have instead added this magic system and underneath these classes have sort of you know amplified these spells and and the classes that you are playing under them um the classes that i were was playing i played the spore master and i played another magic class which i forget off the top of my head um because i just wanted to you know shoot guns and wield magic but like all of it centers around status modifiers so using fire damage using frost damage using poison using dark magic which is basically just like lifesteal essentially and manipulating all those and a lot of like the abilities that i could increase the you know increase points in because it's like a mastery tree if you want to think back to old school league of legends you had the mastery tree that you went through and you put a certain amount of points into each spot or like wow or like anything else and I really liked that I could set points into, hey, when your frozen weapon, you know, when you do frozen damage, it deal, you know, it does a certain thing. And I could just have a frozen gun out. And whether I'm using an ability that does frozen damage or whether I'm using a gun that does frozen damage, it's amplified or there is a additional effect that happens because of the skill points that I have utilized. It also uses a D&D style mechanic for like your abilities. And because I was like, oh, I'm playing this for the podcast and I want to get it done. I played it over the course of like two weeks. I wanted to you know, pick something that I felt would be kind of relatively easy for me to play. And since I was going so magic heavy, I was like, oh, I'm going to take the one class that's like, you're good at everything except your dexterity is terrible. It's like eight, right? It's it, it's a terrible number. And then all of a sudden opened up the game that's like, hey guys, it's a looter shooter and your dexterity um is, is your aim, is how well you shoot the gun. And I was oh, like, no. oh shit. So literally every single point I had until I maxed out dexterity went into fucking dexterity. <laughs> so that was a little bit of like an oopsie on my part. Uh, but really it's the magic. It's the, it's the replacing the grenades with the magic. And there still is all the different like weapon um, like manufacturers. So like there's the, the my personal favorite guns in Borderlands 3 were the ones that you could throw after you like reloaded them and they would do something cool there would be like a little walking turret they'd explode and like there was a moment where probably for five or six hours i had three guns that were all that type one was poison damage one was frost damage and one was fire damage and they like all did different things the fire gun if i threw it it would um burst and create like a little dragon's uh uh like little dragon ward that would shoot fire at enemies the frost one when i threw it would spawn like a little ice wyvern that would shoot damage at enemies and the poison one when i threw it i think it just exploded and did like poison damage in an area 
And then once you get to a certain level, you can combine classes and multi-class. Uh, so like I said, I had one, the one that I started with was like pure magic. And again, I forget what the class type was, but the second one I took was the spore man, like the spore mancer. And all of a sudden I got this little toadstool like companion that would run around with me and he would do poison damage. So then in my original class tree, there was one of these abilities that was like, oh, when I do poison damage, it increases my gun damage and it decreases the cooldown on my action abilities. So like it all kind I was able to build a class that very much worked together based off of this like status effect manipulation and the damage type that I was doing. So that I mean, that does sound very interesting as far as adapting the looter shooter angle to this um you know to to giving a, a flavor success uh to each of those weapons like an ice wyvern sounds like a very cool thing to be able to to utilize out of a gun um i i think that's uh that sounds like a very fun way to handle it if you're already a borderlands fan uh so i guess the next obvious question is what if you're a tabletop role-playing game fan do you feel like the game gives you freedom to, you know, kind of build a narrative based off of your decisions or recreate some of the like tabletop uh, dynamics that uh, would obviously be attractive to people who would be drawn to this kind of game? Chase, what's your favorite type of tabletop campaign? Uh, well, I run uh, a very extensive three-year game that's coming to a close in which uh, my players all exist in a morally gray world in which their actions all affect the other group uh, that is running simultaneously, in which uh, they're constantly forced to uh, make strong character-led choices to try to build a better world uh, as everything seems to be falling apart around them. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that question. Chase, what's uh -huh. your favorite tabletop setting? Oh, setting. Um, well, I made mine. Uh, I, I, I guess if I was going to go off of like the closest to what I built, uh, the Magic the Gathering world of uh, uh, Ravnia uh, has been uh, one that I really liked. Massive city, uh, all these different races living in harmony, each guild having its own faction there uh, with its own role in the community and the intersquabbling that makes everything fall apart. Do you like pirates? Sometimes. <laughs> it's got to be honest, naval combat in the games that I play is not always great, but pirates well, are There's fine. No naval. There's no naval combat here. Chase, what about if I told you that there was a level where you're going to help a ghost pirate and he mm -hmm. is duking it out with Le Chance, who also happens to be his lover. And by the end of your mission, spoiler territory here, you have convinced them the errors of their ways and you have reunited them in loving pirate relationshipness and have released their souls to travel on their ghost ship for the rest of eternity i mean that does sound fun uh i probably would be the answer i would pick i guess my follow-up question would be is that the only answer you can pick? Yes. Got it. Okay. Yes. There is not nuance in this because let's be honest, it's a single player experience. And 
I don't want to say it railroads you, but for the most part, it railroads you. And it goes here, it's modular. I would say the, the biggest thing about it is you have this overworld that you get to travel around in, right? And throughout the overworld, there are like small little dungeons that you can go in and you they're like arena battles where you fight through like one, two, or maybe even three levels. You're doing the looter shooter thing. And then maybe at the end of that dungeon, there is something special. There is a shrine piece that'll, un, you know, if you collect four of them, you'll unlock a special dungeon or unlock a specific gate. And then behind that gate, is some treasure or a reward. There are some of the missions that are in the overworld that request that you go into a particular dungeon and you retrieve an item for them, which then will, in some instances, are part of the main story quest to unlock a way to traverse the overworld map and then continue on with the main quest. And they're put there as roadblocks, essentially, to sort of force you to go into these dungeons on occasion. Or they might just give you a bunch of gold or on occasion I've gotten some like cool spell casting items or a cool gun or thing like that. Um, but for the most part, the different levels of the map are essentially modules where you go into them. You have a main quest that you are doing throughout the course of the, uh, you know, a main storyline quest that you're going through that is helping you progress through the entirety of the game. But then on the sides of them, there are side quests. Uh, there is one particular map where you go into the wild wood and it is like very like mushroomy and it's kind of like dank and decaying because it's been corrupted. And one of the missions you do, um, you lead my fucking least favorite character, Claptrap, on a heroic journey where he is fighting against an uh, allegorical and non-copyright version of um, the Knights of the Round Table, particularly Lancelot. Once you beat him, you fight a skeleton version of King Arthur, and then you fight Merlin. Also, you can acquire um, what is non-trademarked Excalibur and um, make Claptrap the greatest knight in the land because you are his squire. And oh, by the way, you do all the work and Claptrap just stands there and yells at you and tells you to work faster, essentially. Um... So that was kind of interesting. So there's kind of like these homages and the and these like references to other, you know, to other high fantasy, to other tropes kind of in D&D. All, all throughout all of this, there is this interspersing discussion where there are two people, two other people playing with you, um, Valentine and Fret. Valentine is played, is voice acted by Andy Samberg, which is kind of interesting. I didn't realize that until after the fact. And, um... Fret is Wanda Sykes, now that I'm looking at it here on, on Wikipedia. And they will sort of, like, interject as things are going on, mainly for, like, the main story. Um, they'll make, you know, quips, and they'll kind of talk about what it means to, like, enjoy, you know, um, bunkers and badasses. Because the overarching theme of all of this is that Tiny Tina is, um, is running this campaign. And... The villain of this is the Dragon Lord, played by Will Arnett. And the Dragon Great choice. Great choice. choice fantastic choice. And the Dragon Lord, the entire time, is trying to convince you that Tina is a terrible human being, that she is fucking awful, and that he is going to, he has taken control of the game, and that's, you know things will pop up and it'll be like, and you enter a boss arena and all of a sudden you're in a boss arena and like things like that, where he is manipulating the game from inside of it because he is a character and trying to prove to you that Tina is a bad person because 
She is railroady. She gets very frustrated when you don't like characters or you don't want to interact with characters or there's a point where you're quick to judge a character and are like well we don't trust you because this character is obviously evil and she's like nah they're not evil and like i think we've all played with dms before if you've played tabletop where sometimes there's a dm where you're like i can read you like a book like i know what you're fucking doing to me here and she subverts it and she does something different and you're like, oh, wow. But because she yelled at you guys and did the DM thing, we're like, listen, the next person that goes out of fucking line and says skin again, I'm going to you know, spontaneously combust your character. And then she accidentally says skin is this character and frat goes, oh, you said skin. You got to you got to instantly combust her. You, she instantly combusts the character because she's pissed off and then like cries, not cries, but like whines about the fact that she had this like super long backstory plan for it. Like all these things. And like now you guys ruined it because you just wouldn't go along with what she was trying to do. Um, and then you get to the end and um, it turns out, spoiler alert, that the Dragon Lord was her first character was the first Bunkers and Badasses character that she ever played. And she was given a choice at the end of that first game by the the note-taker, um, by Will Arnett, basically. That, that's how they kind of place it as. Um, that he gets you get the Sword of Souls, and with the Sword of Souls, you can basically do whatever. And Tiny Tina goes, well, I'm going to get rid of all the bad guys. I'm just going to I'm going to kill all the bad guys. And her DM allows her to do it and goes, well, okay, now by doing that, the dragon lord is evil. And she goes, nah, why would he be evil? He's, he, he beat all the bad guys. And it's like, well, you just murdered thousands of people. Like, doesn't that make you evil? So there's this kind of like meta discussion talking about like that sort of interaction of a, a, a DM and between its player and sort of the consequences that come from those things when the DM makes a decision and how the players interact with that. So if you're looking for actual comparisons and, and in-depthness in terms of like tabletop and, and what it's like to play tabletop gaming, it's way more meta than it is like there are constant tropes that you get in tabletop gaming that are in this game. Are there dungeons? Absolutely. Are there traps and treasures and, and ambushes in these dungeons? Absolutely. Are there a number of side quests that are very simple and, and can be solved in many different ways? Absolutely. Are there funny side characters that you run into? Of course. Did Tina steal one of the primary side characters that you interact with with somebody else that gave them permission to take it off the interweb? Absolutely. Paladin Mike is great. It's a fantastic character. Like, there's all those things, but the overarching discussion about tabletop is more about that it's the relationship between the players that are playing and the DM, who also, in a way, DMs are playing the game. They're just playing it from a a different version of the game at the same time and about how those kind of interactions build friendships and how they can destroy friendships. See, that's super interesting to me because one, the, the way you've described the dragon Lord uh, seems like a critique of, you know, we use, we call these often in, in tabletop games, the kind of murder hobo strategy the idea of you just kill the people that you think are bad and then you move on without thinking about it and killing all the bad guys and assuming that that's just going to be cool with no negative consequences is exactly the kind of end result of that line of thinking. So it's interesting to see them 
address that and incorporate it into the character. And it's it's interesting to give what should be a game character uh, a, a persona of their own, kind of giving it him their their own identity, uh, such that they can stand apart from Tina, despite technically being controlled by Tina, as far as like the rules of the game would be concerned. I will say, I I don't know how much I would enjoy that experience from start to finish, because while the meta stuff there is interesting, and it does seem to capture the dynamics of a role-playing game like that, uh, I really love uh, customizing things. I tend to avoid modules where I can, uh, and I really don't like playing with DMs that railroad things like it's cool that they're kind of critiquing that and satirizing it and in a certain extent and, and making that the butt of the joke. But it sounds like even as that's happening, you are still continuing to be railroaded because that's the way that the game works. So I, I feel like it would be a mixed bag for me on that front, just from your description. But I'm curious where you end up on it. Would you recommend this game to people? I loved it. I, I I will say personally, I will recommend this game because as much as like the the fact that it was like a tabletop theme, right? It it is what intrigued me about it. Ultimately, I really enjoyed the gameplay. I did not yet get to that point in the twenty uh I, I had it pulled up here, the twenty two twenty one and a half hours that I played it, I had not yet gotten to that that break where all of a sudden it's like, oh, the gameplay isn't fun anymore. Um, because I was still unlocking things, I was still finding different weapons, I was still adding, you know, skills to my character, enhancing things, and really, I sort of speedrunned, I, I sort of tried to really rush through probably the last five hours or so of the game so I could talk about it tonight, um, and there's still a lot of side quests that I didn't get to yet that I want to go back and explore again. And, like, in terms of customization, you can absolutely customize the hell out of your character. It is like any other RPG where you can, you know, completely change the, the design at the beginning. After you beat the main story, you can go back and change your secondary class. So if I no longer wanted to be the Spormancer as a secondary, I could change it to the Berserker. I could change it to the Gunslinger. I could change it to the Stabomancer. I could change it to anything else and explore those different archetypes and see how maybe they interact with my original, uh, my first class and, and go from there because there's still additional content content to be had. There is a, um, a kind of post-game thing where you go through there's an infinite dungeon mode called the chaos chamber that unlocks at the end of the main story that like you can go through and the way the dragon lord kind of puts it to you because he's now been like under arrest essentially for the next 200 years in the castle and has been tasked by um the uh the the queen which is um princess butt stallion uh, who is in charge? I'm sorry, Queen Butt Stallion, who is a magical crystal unicorn that is in charge of everything, um, to like help understand this chaos chamber, and it is described as that is where Tina puts her broken ideas, the the broken you know items that are too powerful, the unfair encounters, all sorts of those things, and it becomes kind of this. I don't want to say roguelike because it doesn't start you completely from scratch, but it becomes this infinite dungeon that you can constantly go back to and you can adjust the, the, the difficulty of it within the dungeon and by choosing all of these different... It's the 
the game as service how do i keep get how do i keep getting you to tick up your counter in terms of hours played of this game oh i'm going to give you this infinite dungeon that you can go through repeatedly over and over and over again and i played through it a couple of times so i was like oh yeah that's fun but at the end of the day i wanted to get back out into the world and interact with more characters and kind of see what other stories they were telling and what other tropes they were bringing in from tabletop um i will also say I got it for like 50% off because it was on a sale right now. It, it as a re recording, it's still on sale on steam. So it's $29.99 instead of being $59.99. If you can get it on sale, I absolutely recommend the game at 60 bucks for a game. That's been out for almost a full year. Eh, it's a little steep, but if you get it on a 50% off sale, I would say it's 100% worth it, especially if you really enjoy Borderlands-style gameplay or you just really like looter shooters. Um, but Chase, mm -hmm. what did you play? And, and please tell me what card game you played this week. You know, it's I mean, it is kind of a card game, one God of the games it. that I played. <laughs> um but first, I have a quick one that I need to throw out there because I played it for longer than I thought I would, uh, given the title of the game, uh, because it was a, a Twitch Prime uh, freebie. Uh, I played Mom Hid My Game, uh, which is a puzzle game that is mostly on the computer, but does have a Switch port now that was part of the free bundle uh, with Twitch Prime for this month. And I downloaded it because I uh, am OCD and I want to claim all of the free games that I'm given, regardless of if I'll, I'll ever play them or not. And I saw it downloaded. It took a very short amount of time. And I'm like, you know, what is this, right? Like, this has to be, like, what a weird concept for a game. I, I'm curious if there's a twist or there's something more to it because uh, it's such a kind of ridiculous concept your mom is taking away your game console because you play it too much and she hides it somewhere in the room uh and it's not a big room right you at most i've only ever seen uh your ability to pan over one screen uh and it's very reminiscent if you ever played some of those like uh like escape the room puzzle games uh that used to be on you know, the kind of mini clips of the world or addictinggames.com, those kinds of like flash games in which you're trying to put these pieces together to achieve uh, a puzzle that uh, is kind of nonsensical on the outset, but um, can be kind of uh, kind of light and fun uh, and feel satisfying when you, you pull it off. Uh, it's essentially one of those. Uh, and it starts with very simple things, right? Your mom's on the couch and she's reading a paper. And if she notices you going for the console that is hidden under a pillow, uh, then she's going to get mad at you and uh, you're going to lose the level. Um, the whole thing is in Japanese, by the way. It has not been ported in any meaningful way, um, which is very funny when you get to later levels. And there are some things that frankly do not translate. Um, uh, but you know, you, you just like, okay, I need to distract my mom and then I can get the console and that's fine. Or like your grandpa's sitting on top of it because he's sitting on a mat. And so you give your grandpa a bunch of water and then he has to go to the bathroom. And so then you can pick it up from underneath him. Um, and then it continues. Uh, and you get things like, for example, there are suddenly a bunch of cyclists in your room, uh, just people, dri you know, riding bicycles back and forth such that you can never get through 
to the closet that your game is clearly being held in. Uh, and you have to go to the side screen and you see that there's a sign that I'm sure in Japanese is saying that you are allowed to uh, ride your bikes there. Uh, and you have to remove the sign uh, from the wall so that the bikes stop being in that direction. Um, or on day 15 and there's a fucking elephant in the room and you need to feed the elephant a bunch of food so that he will take a poop and you can then use some paper towels to wipe off uh, your console because clearly your mom fed it to the elephant. Um, and it's that sorry, kind of what? thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely one of the days. Um, <laughs> you, you absolutely... <laughs> So you can why? see why I ended up playing this more than I thought, right? Like, what, the fuck? what what weird thing is this game going to do next? It's it's very surreal in the kind of puzzles that it builds, and it does have that kind of like nostalgic feel to it. You know, there was like an impossible quiz moment where like there's a bomb and you have to defuse the bomb, right? But if you defuse the bomb, you use the fire extinguisher, and your mom gets mad at you because the fire extinguisher makes noise and she figures out what you're doing. But if you just let the bomb blow up nothing happens and the bomb opens up and your console's inside. Um, it's very silly. It's a very intrinsically silly concept and every level just gets a little bit more ridiculous. Um, you know, you'll get the, the con artist who says he has your console underneath the center, uh, uh, cup and he does the ball and cup routine. And no matter which one you pick, you're going to be wrong unless you click under his hat because that's how the scam works. Um, and so puzzles like that, you know, they're not like intense. All of these, like I said, there's only like a couple screens. Um, so there's not like a whole bunch of depth. You don't have to remember all of these different bits. There's a limited amount of pieces in your inventory and you have to figure out what insane thing the game wants you to do. What the fuck is this game? <laughs> <laughs> so, so in all honesty, it comes across as it is a it is a puzzle game. It is a mm-hmm. WarioWare style puzzle game. Mm-hmm. And, and tell me if I'm wrong. And it just has this sort of absurd plot to it of you know what any kid goes into, whether it's a, con- a video game console or like your favorite toy or whatever, is like. Hey, every once in a while, your mom is saying you're spending too much time on your video game console or you're playing with a certain toy too much and like you have to clean your room and you don't want to clean your room. So you do everything you can to get out of cleaning your room and instead doing the thing you want to do, which is playing with your toy or playing your your video game console. Or from what I can tell, uh, it is very um, supposed to be a Nintendo DS. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. There's not a timer like the WarioWare games have, um, though there are certainly some things in which you are reflex sensitive if you want to pass. And that's ultimately why I I didn't beat this game. Uh, And it's the reason it's not the the main game that I'm talking about, or at least not the only game that I'm talking about on this episode, Uh, because there were two puzzles that broke me. Uh, The first was a tic-tac-toe puzzle. Now, Walter, uh, you might be aware uh, that tic-tac-toe is essentially a solved game, right? If everyone plays perfectly, you should lose every time. Uh, And I ran my head against a wall for about 10 minutes trying to get this tic-tac-toe game to work so that I could get my console. Wait, tell me that you just had to draw an X over one of the O's that they had already put down. 
man, I wish I thought that was going to be it. And I felt really clever when I thought that. And then it didn't work. Um, No, the key was you had to start in a corner and then the computer would uh, fuck up. Uh, They just get it wrong. And so uh, you could then uh, win pretty easily from there. But if you didn't start in a corner, it would play legit and you would always lose. Um, And it took me a while to do that because even if you go in a corner, still shouldn't work that way. Um, All they have to do is not play in another corner, but that's what the AI is designed to do. So you get the easy win. Um, It's very silly. Um, And it took too much of my time and I was getting a little bit frustrated. Uh, And then I ran into the level that actually broke me. Uh, And it is a level in which you go into the fridge and there are three bananas. Um, And if you feed all three bananas, your mom comes swinging in off of a bungee cord uh, to grab the third one. Uh, But the first two, a monkey swings in. Uh, And you only see the monkey's arm. You actually have to pan to the other screen to see the full monkey swinging in on his kind of uh, uh, swing rope uh, that he's got going. Uh, And he's holding the uh, DS analog in his tail. And if I was playing on a PC, I'd just click on it and I'd be good. But I'm not. This is the Switch port that I got for free. And trying to hit exactly on the console in the very limited window of time that it gave you, I couldn't fucking do it. I couldn't be precise enough for the game to be happy with me. I was clicking like crazy. It seemed very temperamental. And even in like the Let's Play that I looked up, when you do have the precision of a mouse, they were having a hard time with it. It seems very finicky. Um, so I gave up. I gave up at day 33 of 50. I'm sure I could have kept going and finished the game in about an hour or so, and I'm sure there were some even more insane puzzles I didn't get to. But I don't care. Uh, that was the point at which it clearly was wasting my time because they didn't bother to port the uh, change in sensitivity when you're playing with a uh, joystick, uh, you know, a kind of a, a left stick uh, versus uh, a mouse and keyboard. So um, I, I can't recommend it because it's essentially just a fancy flash game. But if you get it for free as part of Twitch Prime, like I had more fun with it than I thought I would. That that is a ringing endorsement. Sometimes it's like, eh, I, I I spent more time on it than I thought it was going to, which means it it kept your interest, whether it was because it was ultra ultra difficult and frustrating, or it was like good and it just scratched the right puzzle itch that you wanted it to get. Yeah, the 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 pooping elephant really did turn it around from like, okay, I have to see where this goes, um, and I would have finished it had it been better ported for the the switch. So if you ever get it free on PC or you can get it for super cheap and that sounds like the kind of silly puzzle game that you used to enjoy back when Newgrounds was still active, uh, I would recommend it for that and that only. Um, Otherwise, I mean, it's called Mom Hid My Game. I don't think anyone's going in expecting the kind of depth of uh, a lot of the other games that we cover here. Certainly not the depth of the other game I played uh, this week. Uh, which is Dicey Dungeons. And uh, when I say this week, I mean on and off for the last two years. Uh, are you familiar with Dicey Dungeons, Walter? I, I am not. I am not familiar with it at all. So Dicey Dungeons is not a card game, except when it is. Um, it is essentially a dice game uh, in which you can play as one of six classes, each of which have uh, what's called equipment. 
uh, and that equipment is used to deal damage to enemies. Um, so you have to get uh, the right dice uh, to get the maximum value out of uh, the equipment that you have uh, to deal as much damage as you can to the enemy before they attack you back uh, based on their own die rolls and their own equipment, uh, which is often uh, slightly stronger than your own. Um, and you uh, have to try to beat five levels of the dungeons before you get to a boss monster that you have to take down in order to win uh, what is framed as an episode. Uh, the whole thing is kind of built like a game show within the lore of the game, uh, run by this kind of, uh, I don't want to say witch, um, but this kind of like magical host that's very clearly intended to be like a demonic type figure. Like this is a like futile effort that these characters don't realize that they're in. You know, they've come here because they're trying to get some sort of prize, either fame or fortune or uh, in one character's case, the witch, uh, 10 million Instagram followers um, and Lady Luck, as she calls herself, um, turns you into a dice and you compete. Uh, and at the end, you're supposed to have a chance to win your freedom. But even though uh, all of the panels but one are about winning your freedom, uh, you never do. And in fact, you have like a kind of um, young uh, character that's kind of meant to be like the Lady Lux apprentice who like gives away that, oh, yeah, you're not. Oh, I'm supposed to say that you lost after you uh, spin the board. Whoops. Um, I guess I should spin it now. Um, that kind of like silly uh, angle to it. Um, it's an interesting game in that regard. It's technically like a roguelike deck builder in that you are picking up pieces of equipment over time to build out a better loadout, upgrading that equipment at certain spaces, uh, and regularly getting stronger as you increase levels in order to uh, maximize your uh, efficiency and effectiveness as you face stronger and stronger monsters. But it, it's not like a card you can play, right? It's, it's reliant on activating these abilities uh, via your dice. And depending on which of the six classes you pick, uh, the way you do that changes dramatically. So where is it the card game then? Because I, you said it's a card, it's it's a card game, except when it's not. So when is it a card game? Because that's going to completely explain to me why this game sucked you in. So I'm going to send you a screenshot of what this looks like. I highly recommend uh, anyone uh, following along at home uh, look up. Uh, just just type in dicey dungeons and go to Google Images, and you can see the uh, the outline here. Um, I don't know why it doesn't seem to be coming through for you. Um, but essentially, your equipment look very much like cards, right? Um, they are these little boxes uh, that are constantly in front of you, and they are customized to do specific things, right? Like a deck-building game, which is obviously a staple of the card game format. Um, you have the ability to uh, improve it over time, uh, to uh, flesh out these different angles to kind of customize a build based on the equipment that you pick up randomly or the equipment that you can buy at a shop. And you are manipulating these things uh, based on what you need in that situation, right? Um, so let's say you're playing as a rogue. Rogues have 
very efficient damage when it comes to uh, their cards. Like you can do things multiple times, but typically it only works if you have um, uh, multiple lower level dice. They don't take big swings uh, the way that uh, other classes do. Uh, they're much more about these kind of incremental gains, so to speak. Um, obviously, each class plays differently, and uh, one of them, uh, the Jester, which you unlock after you win at least one round with all the other classes, does have it feel a lot more like a deck. You have three pieces of equipment in front of you. When you use one of them, it goes away, and a new one comes off the top. So you are literally... Uh, kind of making your way through this deck of inefficient cards, but cards that don't have an end to it. As long as you have dice, you can keep playing the cards. If you keep playing the cards, eventually you will whittle your opponent down. Um, so it's not a card game because there isn't a deck. You're not drawing things outside of with the Jester. Um, and every, like, every class does things a little differently, right? Like you have the robot who has kind of a, an amount that you're trying to calculate towards is how they call it. And so you click the calculate button to roll a die and you can keep rolling until you go over uh, the limit. Um, and if you go over, you lose everything. So you have to kind of think about when you want to use these die uh, to activate your cards or when you want to build up. Uh, because if you get it exactly, you get a jackpot and it gives you a big bonus that helps you kind of sw uh, swing the turnover. Or you have the inventor who takes your equipment and breaks it down at the end of each fight to create a gadget that gives you an extra power that you can use on each of your turns. And then you throw the gadget away at the end of the fight and you get a new thing. And so you're kind of choosing like which of your quote unquote cards, these pieces of equipment you are willing to dismantle in order to get that larger uh, advantage. So it's not a card game, but it is a card game. Does that now make a little bit more sense? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's fair. I, I think the fact that it's called a card game is a little bit of a misnomer, but uh, for people that have played a game like Dominion, for instance, uh, Dominion is one of the most famous uh, deck-building uh, card games that are out there. You start with a very limited amount of resources, cards that are worth very little amount of coin, um, that do very minimal amount of, of drawing or, or securing certain things for you. Uh, and you use those coins when you gather them up to buy better cards. And then you try to get rid of the cards that are bad and build up a deck with the cards that are good. And you don't get to reshuffle until you've gone through all of the cards in your deck. So you're constantly trying to improve the machine that you have uh, so that you can uh, get more points than your opponent by the end of the game. Okay, uh, so, you're, so you're trying to trade in the bad cards that you have essentially for better higher damaging cards over over the course of this play exactly you're constantly picking up new equipment better equipment uh, and getting ways of upgrading that equipment or breaking it down to be used in different angles or, or any number of ways of approaching it uh, but you're always trying to improve this kind of core that you have uh, it's kind of like a card game if you always had every card in your hand but your hand was very limited in how big it could be. Um, but it's not a card game because it's a dice game because it's all about getting the right rolls in order to activate these different abilities. It's, it's up to Lady Luck, so to speak, 
whether you are able to pull off the big combo that you want. If all of your equipment is like, you get to deal double damage, but the max you can roll is a four, and you roll all fives and sixes, sucks to be you, you're not using that equipment this round. And that's where my problem with this game comes in. Uh, because I've been playing this game for a long time, Walter, and I always said I would talk about it on the podcast when I made more progress in it, um, because I wanted to get a better idea of like what the end game looked like, for instance. Um, and it has taken me about two years of on and off playing to finally get to one of them for one of the characters. And the reason is that when it's a dice game and it is so up to luck, it's so easy for you to wash out. Um, Especially when there's a huge increase in difficulty uh, between, for example, like Adventures 3 and 4. Um, for kind of like ad- adventure four that they call episodes because again it's kind of built like a game show um like episode four is always now the enemies are tougher and they have like 10 percent more health and upgraded equipment and you just keep fucking dying because if you don't get the right roles if you don't get the right equipment you're just not going to win um now, some people will say that that's great. It's a roguelike. You want to have those failures. It makes the successes all the more memorable. What, do you want to beat Ascension Level 7 and slay the Spire every time that you load in? No, you want it to be hard so that when you get to Ascension Level 10 or 11, you feel like you accomplished something. Um, in theory, I get that. But because it's dice, it feels worse than when it's a pure card game and you can control exactly what it is that you're playing. There is nothing more frustrating than taking a huge amount of damage from your opponent because you couldn't get the dice that you needed to activate the combo that would have won you the game. And there's only one class that gives you the ability to reroll on a regular basis. It's the warrior, the most basic class available in the game, and the only one I have reached the end game with. It's a fun class. I enjoy it. I enjoy the rerolls. I enjoy the kind of super move that you get. Um, once you've taken a certain amount of damage, what they call limit break, um, you're able to get like a super effect, and his is to deal double damage uh, on the next card that you play, which is fantastic. Um, but without that, I've just found it to be a nightmare. Um but I love how different all the classes are, you know? Like, I would love to get good enough to be able to play as the witch, because the witch has a spellbook, and you use dice to unlock the card uh, that you then can use your dice on to do damage. It takes you a while to get going, but your abilities are, on average, better than most other classes. It's a fun trade-off. It's a really interesting dynamic. And as soon as I beat the second mission on that one, I'll let you know. Um, it's going to be a while. Um, and that's the rub with this game. I, I love it. I love the concept. I've kept playing it on and off for two years for a reason, but I can never play for more than like a run at a time because I find myself getting very frustrated by the things that are out of my control because I guess Lady Luck doesn't like me very much, both in the story and out of it. So Chase, you played this game for two years. How do you get better at the game? If it's all if it's all hinged on how the dice rolls and your progress is hinged on how the dice rolls, why have you played it for two years? Well, because every once in a while the stars align, Walter. You get 
the perfect gear that you needed. You get the rolls that yield really satisfying combos. You get upgrades at the right time that give you a more consistent version of the cards that you were frustrated with. And you're able to then get the most out of that equipment. Um, because it's colorful. Uh, you look at uh, the different classes and they're all these really colorful dice. And, um, you know, at one point you get uh, one of your characters gets turned into a bear and you're like a little fuzzy brown dice now with little Aww. barriers at the top. And it's fantastic um, because all of the enemies are really well drawn. They all have this art style. You know, the, the image I sent you is the wolf puppy and you can see the little dog with the bandana and his nose is sticking up in the air. Uh, and he gives, you know, they all have like lines at the end that give this really interesting picture of the world. You know, some of them are very happy to be the kind of fodder in the early levels. Some of them are a lot more aware of the kind of challenge that they're in than others. And the Jester, that class that I, I told you that I, I got to unlock, was previously one of the monsters in the dungeon. Um, and you kind of convince him to join your side once you've won with enough characters because he decides that the game is bullshit and he doesn't want to help Lady Luck anymore on this kind of tortuous experience that she's she's putting the players through in the, the universe of the game. It is a really fun atmosphere, a very colorful design, really well put together from a narrative perspective. Not that the narrative is very deep, but that it gives you the kind of flavor that makes you want to keep going with it. It captures each class as something that is unique and different. And if I get frustrated with one of the classes one day, I can just switch to another one the next, and it's fine. I just wish I was better at it. I don't know if I'm just that bad, or if the game's that hard, or what it is. But as someone who plays a lot of games in this genre, the dice one has broken me from a gameplay perspective even if I love literally everything else around it. I, I, I get it. I get the appeal. Because to you, it's a puzzle that you haven't broken yet. You haven't figured it out yet. But the problem is, Chase, the puzzle pieces always change. <laughs> oh, they do. And I'm going to keep playing this thing because I can't help myself. And it's a great 20 minutes of my time if I'm not feeling the mental energy to delve into something uh, a little bit deeper. It kind of fills now the same role as like a super mega baseball where it's always there in the background. And if I need like a break, a thing to play at my lunch break, I can do it. And I'm always going to have a good time with it. And because I haven't solved it the way I have with a lot of other, you know, kind of more pure card games like a monster train or a slay the spire. Um, I keep coming back to it. There's something about the flavor of it. There's something about the dynamic of it. I just, I don't know. I, I, again, I can't tell if I'm bad or the game's just that hard or both, but it keeps me coming back. And for that, I'm going to recommend it. Um, I think if you, if you like that kind of like dice game angle to it, if you like the idea of like kind of gambling for these better things of equipment uh, to get that perfect combo in which everything all falls together, um, if you want to meet this cast of colorful characters, uh, both your heroes and your villains that has a good sense of humor about it, there's a lot to love. Uh, just don't expect this game to be a pushover just because it's bright and colorful 
and has a good sense of humor to it. It will destroy you, and it will have a great time laughing at you while it does. But when it works, when it all comes together, man, ooh, it feels good. Ooh, it feels satisfying. Listen, Chase, I'm glad you're the one who said gambling because I didn't want to have that intervention with you. But if you ever need to talk, I'm here for you, buddy. We'll get through this together. I have some bad news about the career path I've chosen for myself. If we're going to take an anti-gambling stance here. (laughs) I think on that note, uh, it is time to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. You can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. You can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcasting uh, service of choice, whether it is the individual feeds themselves, Final Cut and uh, and Steam Cleaners, or if you want to listen to the combined feeds over on the Rough Drafts Podcast feed. Guys, if you really like the movie stuff, we are getting into Oscar season. So come check that out. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, I bought like eight or so games during the steam summer sale that we will get to hopefully eventually at some point before 2025. Yes. Uh, we will get there. Uh, eventually, uh, you can find me at Chase Watson on Twitter. Uh, definitely hit me up there or on the, the podcast feed. We love hearing from you. Uh, it's been a very fun uh, sequence of games, and I, I think uh, I'm very excited for the the next game I'm going to talk about if I can finish it in time. Um, but uh, until then, goodbye, Internet.